Shalom, everybody. This is Shomer Man. Uh, you would think after two hours of information that I might be out of drosh for Parsha Korak, but correction, like as in correction. If you didn't stop Korak and roll, uh, this is for you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. This is actually just uh, more illumination that I just want to uh, take the gloves off and just start throwing punches. So here we go. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakar banu mikol hamim, venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-torah, amen. Alright, I know throwing punches is kind of weird, but um, there's some heavy, oh my word, information just been thrown around for uh, this week. I mean... How much can you really glean from Parsha Korak? Apparently a lot. So I was saying in my previous drosh that I wanted to do a drosh called staff meeting. And I quite couldn't get past the drop zone. And so uh, this drosh right now is going to pretty much just kind of be a conglomeration of everything. Which is why I'm just calling it a correction. So may we all make a correction in our life and not be like Korak. And may we aspire to be one with Hashem, walking in the likeness of Mashiach. And so here we go. So the first verse I want to go to is the Kehurt Humash, aka the Kehot Humash. And in the interpolated, not even getting into the Hasidic insights. Dropping in on verse 19, the very first chapter of the parasha. Yes, I mean, Perek Tet Zayin, chapter 17, gets you some. Um, wait, is that 17? Tet Zayin? 16, my bad. Okay, so uh, dropping in on that chapter real quick, verse 19 in the interpolated. Sometimes I just have this thing where math is just, it doesn't come to me immediately, but that's cool. All right, so check this out. Verse 19, it says, Korach assembled all the congregation against them. Against who? Against Moshe, against Aharon, against the cloud of glory, against the Shekinah, against Hashem, against the Torah. So a whole lot of them, Okay. So he assembled all the congregation against them at the tent of meeting, at the Ohel Moed. Okay? Mind you, this is the same place Miriam was speaking at, and she got leprosy. Okay? Because, you know, she was telling Hashem about Moshe and all that, and like giving him the rundown. And he was like, really? You're going to talk about my servant Moshe like this? So anyway... It's never good when you want to go to the tent of meeting and say, everybody over here, everybody watch this. Hold my sensor and watch this. Okay, you don't want that to happen. That's like famous last words. Literally, these are Korok's last words. But anyway, so it says, he assembled all the congregation at the entrance to the Ohel Moed for the whole night he had circulated among the people convincing them that he was acting on their behalf as well. Korak and the 250 men offered their incense and Aharon offered his. 
you know, I'm having like a traumatizing replay right now because I was just looking at that earlier and then I was thinking about Second Timothy 3, 6 and I was just like, oh my word. So anyway, I'm just going to relive the traumatic event. In 2 Timothy 3, 6, it says, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control. Who are they? Those who have a form of godliness but deny its power have nothing to do with these people. What? What was before that? I'm just backing my way up. I'm reading 2 Timothy chapter 3 in reverse. And yes, I did start in verse 6 and I only quoted half the verse and I know that's not good. But for the sake of the audience, I want to let everybody know. First of all, I'm not a chauvinist and neither is Shaul. It's like a verse 5. No, no, no. Yeah, verse 6. I'm not a chauvinist, neither is Shaul, because this verse says that there are gullible women who uh, these people that we're talking about, possibly Korach and his assembly, but I haven't gotten there yet. All right. But I want to make that known. How many times can I repeat that? Because let me go to the interlinear. So I want this to be because, listen, it's not a broad paintbrush. Okay. So we don't want to ever say that all women are weak and all women need to be quiet and get on this whole, like, let's start a non-feminist movement kind of thing. So that's first of all why I did not originally quote the whole verse, but now I'm just going to do it. We just open up the whole can of get you some. So now we're going to get us some. So the word used for the gullible or weak women quoted in this verse it says that this is the word, man, it's a Greek word. Okay. It's a really long Greek word. Guna, gunahikarion. And that's probably not even how you say it, but it's that word. And it's, how about this? It's Strong's number 1133. Get you some. Okay. Anyway, it says a woman with all a woman's weakness, a poor, weak woman, a silly woman. Now, let's go to the parsha. Who is Korok's wife? She would be this woman, which is why it's fitting that Second Timothy three six is talking about the people who worm their way into the homes where these women are, because sometimes those women are the source of their own demise. Just like the Hasidus brings down in the commentary on Korok's wife versus Own's wife, that you have Korok's wife being a woman who destroys her home and Own's wife being a woman who builds or preserves her home, i.e. an anxious kyle means Okay, so Hillel can do it way better than me. That's cool. Um, and yeah. But anyway, Aisha's Chayil. That's who builds up her home. That's the opposite of this woman in Second Timothy 3 6. So to all the Aisha's Chayils out there, shouts out to y'all. To all the soon to be Aisha's Chayils, shouts out to y'all. But anyway, you are not this woman. And if you're 
Anyway, offended by this verse in 2 Timothy 3, 6. Don't be. Because if you're a woman of Torah, if you're a woman that follows after Mashiach, if you're a woman after Mashiach's own heart, this does not apply to you. Okay? So nobody needs to be offended. And if you are, I don't know what else to tell you. That gave me a big old swerve because I'm reading in reverse already. But anyway, to my point, what I'm trying to say is the people that we're talking about here, Korok, when he spent all night just working up a frenzy with the camp, just saying, hey, y'all, I'm really on your team. I'm really working for y'all. He's doing this thing at night, which is already a bad sign because First of all, courts are closed at night. This is why um, starting Yom Kippur is so important that you get started before sundown because there are no judgments. Sleeka, there's no trial that needs to be happening after sundown. This is why every single trial that Mashiach went through was inappropriate because it was after sundown and before daybreak. It was between the evening lamb and the morning lamb okay so there's a lamb that's burning on the altar all night that's covering all the offenses that are done in the dark and then it'll be ashes by the morning time and that gets taken off the altar change clothes removed to the outside of the camp so that that whole thing is going on so anything that's happening at night it, if it ain't Torah, it ain't good, okay? This is why midnight Torah studies a thing. This is why we should tremble on our beds and take account of our day. Say the Shema. You know, that's why the Ma'ariv service was actually enacted because it's considered technically optional because really the main prayer services are Minka and Shakarit, but the rabbis instituted Ma'ariv because they know what's up. They're filled with the spirit of Hashem, and that's why they were like you know what nighttime we don't need to be defenseless so let's put the shema in there let's put the amidah in there let's put some slichot in there let's put some tehillim in there you know let's really take the end of our day as we're already or the beginning of our day actually let's take the beginning of our day and fill it with shuva fill it with self-examination fill it with trembling and fear before hashem fill it with torah and it's actually that we should be studying the oral Torah throughout the night. So what does that say? Because who is the oral Torah? We talked about that Zaphonah Paneach, that's Yeshua HaMashiach, that's Yosef, you know, all these things. And so if we keep our minds fixed on the words of our Lord throughout the night, that preserves us, it safeguards us, it protects us. So as you're sleeping, as you're eating, you know, it's all that. So the cool thing, because uh, I mentioned trembling on your bed, that's the bedtime Shema. You know, there's a prayer after Ma'ariv. I mean, it's doubled down on optional, you know. It's not really optional. You know, the, even the uh, Talmud goes back and forth and Tractate Barakot about, you know, is Ma'ariv optional? Is it? Yes, it is. No, no, it's not. One should really just continue to pray before Shem anyway so you know answer is yes on my reef but I just want to bring that up because 
bedtime Shema is included as an extra prayer service. So, I mean, it's just like it continues. So if you really thought about it, you're going to do Ma'ariv, you're going to do bedtime Shema, and then for fortunate ones, we get to wake up at midnight and do midnight Torah study. And from 12 a.m., like midnight, to about 3 a.m. in the morning, if you're Torah studying, you're considered to be walking in Gan Eden with Hashem himself. Like, that's the level that you get to ascend to. Like, that's codified. Um, the Avenger Hadavar dropped that on me. Yes, it was clobbering time, and he never said it. So I was, I was like, assaulted without being warned. So it's the opposite of, it was, like, premeditated. But, I mean, I don't know. It's just it's uncalled for. But I appreciate that. He sourced it out. But just want to relay that information to you. That Midnight Tour study is powerful and uh Hashem. so anyway throughout the nighttime is a time of torah not a time of korah okay that's korok's uh english name i guess for lack of better terms so in the kehod humash in chapter 16 verse 19 it's bringing that up and i was like second timothy 3 6 these are the kind who worm their way into homes and take control over women like Korok's wife who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. See, they're already on a, on a bad slippery slope going backwards. Verse five, having a form of godliness, but not denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. That's the thing about Korok. He really did have a form of godliness, but he denied the power because he denied the Torah. Then it says in verse four, treacherous rash conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god boy there's a lot of that going on and then go back to verse three it says without love i.e destitute of torah then because you know being observant to the mitzvot that's what love is that's what hashem calls love those who love me keep my commandments this is what love is that we keep the commandments of Hashem. Yeah, that's written in the Bible in the B I B L E. Get you some. Okay? It says without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not lovers of the good. Verse 2 People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy without holiness you don't get to see hashem that's written in hebrews then it says second timothy 3 1 but mark this there will be terrible times in the last days okay so korok's rebellion is like a little precedent or picture of the last days then agent Ahad had to get all up in there with her violent self and drop that you know the hardness of heart that happened after each plague and revelation we see that going on here not only in mitzrayim but in the rebellion of korah because it's like how many times and events that have happened in the wilderness where hashem is forgiving them or there are judgments going out and korah through all this he saw the golden calf he saw the the spies you know, come back with slanderous report. He saw the burnings of the previous elders. He saw the people die from all the quail, which I guess he wasn't a quail guy. He was probably a vegetarian or something. I don't know. But, uh, cause you know, those, all those who ate that quail 
from the quail um plague uh they all died so korok apparently uh made it past the quail so you know uh bravo then uh we got what else happened i mean all these different plagues that broke out where people died and he's just kind of like but but uh moshe and aharon they're taking too much on themselves we need to all be doing this and then as if that wasn't crazy enough Medrash brings down that the 250 men had 250 ways of leading the nation. So these people are really not even fighting for the assembly. It's the opposite of Kol Echad. And then it's like, yeah, I'm going to be your leader and I'm going to lead you like this. Now I'm going to be your leader and I'm going to lead you like this. And all these people are really coming against Moshe. And it's just like, that is the absolute violation of the Shema because Hashem is Echad. Hashem doesn't have 250 different ways plus Korach, Dayton, and Aviram of how to run his assembly. The assembly is supposed to be orderly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 much? Somebody needs to read that um, because it says that there's supposed to be order in the in the congregation. You know, if you're going to have all these things happening, it all needs to work together. So, uh, so yeah, so anyway, so that's kind of how this drosh kind of came to my mind. It all started cause I was looking at that verse. So then what I really wanted to bring up was Gehenna because that kind of switched quickly, descended quickly, I should say, because, you know, I was talking to Yeshiyahu, it's my coworker, shouts out to Yeshiyahu. If you didn't know, that's your name. That's your name um, in Hebrew. So uh, I was talking to him and he was talking about how, you know, there are some people who say that Jews don't believe in Gehenna. And I'm like, boy, you don't even know. Like there are so many sources. And um, and obviously in Stop, Rock and Roll, I talked about Absalom who stayed in the tree and did not cut his hair because he knew that if he would have cut himself out of the tree, he would have literally fell into a pit and that pit would have taken him to get him. So there's that. Um, that was from the Pearl K. Now you better get some Balhatorum and more Pearl K about Gehenna. Cause I just wanted to put this out there because this, whoever started this rumor, I mean, I don't even know how this even picked up traction because it doesn't take much to learn that there is a place called Gehenna. You can look in Psalms, you can look in Revelation, you can look in Mashiach's words when he talks about the place of weeping and gnashing. Like, how in the world? Because, you know, the whole Bible's Jewish, right? Like, everything about the Bible is Jewish. The thought is Jewish, the origin is Jewish. The people are Jewish. Even the people who are introduced into the faith of Mashiach are Jewish. So, yeah, that's you. If you say you believe in the Messiah, the King of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Yaakov, or Yaakov and Jacob are the same. Yeah, the God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. If you believe in that God, if you believe in the Father of Messiah Yeshua, the God of all creation, you are following everything Jewish. So, 
I know that's uh, kind of probably a wake-up call and a what? I didn't. I don't know what this guy's talking about. MSU, shot him down. Yeah, everything about the Bible is Jewish. Okay, the Bible is actually called a Tanakh, and then it has the Brit Hadashah, which are the Basora and Acts, which is the beginning of the Kehilah expanding to being outside of the Jewish nation because Hashem came first. For the lost sheep of Israel, salvation first to the Yehudi, right? And then to the Greek, right? That whole verse. So then in Acts, you have the expansion program that's going on. That's why you have all these questions that come up. So what do we do for those who are coming in, who are brand new, who were not Jew, and they are now converting? So we got people getting filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and starting to prophesy in the name of Hashem, and they're already eating kosher, they're already coming to shul. What do we do with that? Hashem's like, give them the mikvah, give them the circumcision, you know, uh, let them bring the sacrifices, you know, the same thing that Yisrael did when they were at Har Sinai to be converted. Because you realize every Jew had to convert at Har Sinai as well as the mixed multitude. So, like, there's no such thing as, are you a natural-born Jew? Because if you're a convert, then, you know, where's your conversion? Because that's going to devalidate your Judaism. You know, like, that's a whole false thing. So don't ever let anybody invalidate your conversion, no matter who it's by, unless it's a reform, because they don't really believe in Torah. Um, anyway, uh, so if you really have received a mikvah and you proclaim the name of Hashem, you keep the mitzvot, you know, you're walking in teshuva and you have, uh, you, you agree to bring forth the sacrifice of a convert, which actually there's some midrashim and commentary that talk about that in the third temple, those who converted during the destruction of the temple, that they will retroactively bring their sacrifice you know, for being a convert for the whole conversion process. So technically anybody who converts right now is missing that sacrifice. But, you know, obviously the sacrifices are our lips because they compensate for the blood of bulls. And then for those of us who proclaim Mashiach Yeshua, his death is literally the sacrifice because the sacrifices of Hashem is a broken and contrite heart. Not only was Mashiach broken and contrite in his heart as he died, but he literally is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, you know, when you make when you do a conversion, first of all, you're making teshuva and then you're also considered to be a newborn babe. So look up newborn babe in the text and you'll find out that that really is a euphemism for conversion. So like a newborn babe crave pure spiritual milk. You know, so uh, that's the writing of Kepha. So as you convert into Torah, you become Jewish. You want to start craving that pure truth, that pure Torah, that Mashiach was really exhorting the Perushim, the Pharisees, that they would get to. It was like, stop expanding your tefillin boxes. They already stick out enough. Second of all, quit lengthening your zitzit. You're going to get caught on something and they will choke you out or trip you up and they're going to break anyway and they're going to be invalid. So if you're lengthening your zitzit, 
you know, what's wrong with you? Uh, second of all, you know, don't be exchanging customs for actual commandments, you know, understand what true commandments are and what customs are because commandments are super important. Customs come alongside and beautify the mitzvot. So don't let the beautifying of the mitzvot take place of the structure and foundation of the mitzvot. So just want to point all that out to say that Gehenim is a thing in Judaism. So, um, Baal HaTurim brings down this from uh, the whole thing with Korok and the ground splitting open. First thing up, it says, according to the Talmud, there are seven names for Gehenim. Because of my last drosh, Stop Korok and Roll, I was like, going back and listening to it and I kept using Gehenna and Sheol like interchanging you know like the whole terminology for hell and I was just like man I should have just stuck with saying Gehenna and it's like well no literally Sheol is a place that is I mean is a name for Gehenna a name for hell so hell Sheol Gehenna are you know they're all synonyms for hell or they're all names for hell And so uh, you're about to find out some more names here. So check this out. So it says Sheol is a name for hell or Gehenna. And it's found in Jonah 2, 3. Okay, so that's one. Here's two. Annihilation, as in Tehillim 88, 12. So anytime you see the word, uh, oh my goodness. This is the word Avadron. Abaddon. Wow. That's crazy. Let's see if I can get a better picture here. Did I take a better picture? I think I got so excited that I didn't take a good enough picture. Okay. But anyway, Olive Vet Dalit Vav Noon. Uh it's in Tehillim eighty eight twelve. Um didn't bring that in here. Okay, Brukashim. Alright, so Annihilation, Sheol. Now, the third one is called a Be'er Shachat, a well of destruction. And yes, it says Shachat, and for the Ivrit knowers out there, Shachat means slaughter, like shokit, like sacrifice. So the well of sacrifice is also called Gehinnom. And uh, I should also say the this week when the people who were or last week, Parsha Shalach Lecha, when the people who slandered the land were sentenced to die, those between 20 and 60, that they went out and dug graves for themselves. Um, and it says that Hashem slaughtered them in the wilderness. So it was like literally a ritual sacrifice slaughtering type thing. So shachat, that's what that means. Like a shokit. Okay, so that's Tehillim 16.10. Then you got, oh, they're going to do a two and one right here. So you got the word um, bor sha'on, which is a pit of turbulent waters. And then you also have tit hayavain, which is mire. Like the miry clay. Yep. Uh, Tehillim 40 verse 3. So the turbulent waters and the mire. And then you have Slika. 
from um well the first time anyway i've known of this word was telling 23 but it's not about what i know it's about what the sources say come on so the source says another name for Gehenna, which is name number six is called zalmavet which is the shadow of death as in Tehillim 107 verse 10. Then it says it's called Eretz. And that's a big word and this picture is blurry. So I'm not going to even try on that one. It's called the nethermost earth. A name known by tradition from Eruvin 19a. Tractate from Babylonian Talmud. Then it says, although Talmud does not cite a verse regarding the seventh name. That name does appear in Yehezekiel chapter 31 and verse 14 and 16 and in 18. And like a good diligent student, we shall go to those verses. I'm going to find my Bible here. Here we go. Bible on demand. Yehezekiel 31. Come on. All right, verse 14, we got, um, boom, boom, boom. They are destined for death for the earth below. There we go. Realm of the dead. There we go. Uh, verse 16. Made the nations tremble at the sound of its fall when I brought it down to the realm of the dead. Go down to the pit. Um, to the trees of Eden, the choices, the best of Lebanon, the well-watered trees are consult in the earth below. And verse 18, which of the trees of Eden can be compared to, with you in splendor and majesty, yet you too will be brought, here we go, down with the trees of Eden to the earth below. You will lie among the uncircumcised. Oh, snap, that just escalated relating the uncircumcised i.e. the unrepentant ones because if you're uncircumcised but you're intending to get circumcised or now that you know that you need to get circumcised you're completely out of this equation but to the uncircumcised because they want to be and because they don't care says uh this is the earth below the uncircumcised those who will be killed by the sword that ain't good uh yeah so that's the seventh name of Gehenna. So let that be said. Then it says, um, oh my goodness, Sanhedrin 110a. Another tractate in Talmud says, there expounds on our verse, what did Moshe mean? But if Hashem will create a creation and the ground will open its mouth, what did he mean? Moshe said before Akadosh Baruchu, if Gehenna has been created, good but if not let god create it now okay so if gehenna never existed or if you think gehenna doesn't exist you're insinuating that you were there before korok was swallowed into the earth when moshe said let gehenna be created but here's the thing if you go back to the creation account there's a day that hashem said or hashem didn't say actually that it's good what day was that? That was Monday, Monday. I'm just kidding. Monday didn't exist, but Monday is called Yom Shani. That's the second day. 
That's literally the day that sages say Gehenna was created. So either Gehenna was created then or it's created during this rebellion in Parashar Korach. So either way, you have Gehenna exists and there is no if ands, questions, or buts about it. Okay. Uh, also, tagging on to my own self with uh, the whole thing about Yom Shani and the creation of Gehenna, it says that strife was created that day. That's why there was a separation. The first time separation is used is in that day. Separation and dissension are all likened to a day that is not good. So anytime you have dissension and separation going on, that's not good. That's why Hashem doesn't like divorce. That's why it's not good to be like all upset with your family that's why it's not good to be devoid of the torah of moshe because any kind of separation that you have that's not good so yeah that's that's yom shaney that's monday monday for you okay so uh yeah a lot of people go oh no it's monday monday's coming ah get him okay anyway that was probably over exaggerated but uh, so that's a couple of sources there. Okay. Uh, also, man. Okay. So Ish Pela dropped this and it was ridiculous. He says, uh, in Eruvin 19a, it says the Talmud there discusses the number and locations of the entrances to Gehenna. There are three portals to Gehenna, one in the wilderness one in the sea, one in Jerusalem, one in the wilderness, as it is written, they and all theirs descended into the pit from our parasha this week, verse 33. One is in the sea, as it is written in Jonah's prayer within the fish from the belly of the fish you cried or I cried and you heard. And, uh, yeah, so I was a little excited. Oh, Brukashem. I was about to say I didn't take the rest of the picture, but I did. All right. Hallelujah. Okay, so it is uh, Yonah 2-3 from the belly. Okay, so that's another portal is in the sea. And then it says, one in Yerushalayim. Man, I don't even got to even go there because Benny B dropped this and then G Shekel dropped this. And then obviously they're quoting sources and stuff like that. And they say that there's literally a valley or a place outside of Yerushalayim that's called the Valley of the Weeping and Gnashing of Teeth. And that place is actually called Gehenna. So uh, here we are right here in the Baha Torim looking at footnotes, like Chuck Norris size footnotes. And he's saying that there's one portal to Gehenna in Yerushalayim. As it is written, so speaks Hashem. He who has a fire in Zion and a furnace in Yerushalayim. Yeshayahu 31.9 A fire in Zion refers to Gehenna. And a furnace in Yerushalayim refers to the portal of Gehenna. Alright, so while that's going on, I also wanted to bring up in the Zohar that uh, Parsha Shlach Lecha or... Um, Man, I can't remember if it was that one or or it definitely wasn't this one because I haven't gotten into the Zohar for this parasha yet. So there's still a lot of stuff that I probably am going to want to share, but I'm not going to get to. But anyway, um, in there, it talks about in last week's Torah portion that those who subject themselves to the fire of Torah 
remove and exempt themselves from the fire of Gehenna. So yeah, there is that. So if you really want to, you know, be purified and walk in true righteousness and you want to withstand the day of testing, the day of fire that's talked about also in Corinthians, uh, you know, you should probably do a little bit of Torah because, you know, if you're in that fire, you be saved from the other fire. So, yeah, so I mean, lots of Gehenna stuff. I mean, does people really not know that there's a Gehenna? Uh, check this out. Another Bahaturim, Parsha Korak, says if you wanted to say that he wanted God to create a new place called Gehenna, that cannot be. So if Moshe was really asking Hashem to create Gehenna, if it didn't exist, right here it says that cannot be. For we have learned, really, they're going to go with this. Okay, it says, there is nothing new under the sun. Kohelet, which is Ecclesiastes 1.9. Okay, so there's nothing new under the sun. So Gehenna already existed. It exists. Yeah. Okay, so then it says, thus, if there was ever to be a Gehenna, it would have been created during the first six days of creation. Rashi. Okay? Then it says, rather, Moshe prayed that the portal of Gehenna be brought near. Okay, really? He's going to move the portal? Oh my goodness. How powerful is the words of Moshe? There was a, a, a whole nother drosh that was brought down by another Avenger. Her name is Yovel. Uh, she is the Shomer version of Jubilee from the X-Men. Shouts out. What's up? Alright, so um, she was bringing down this whole thing about Aharon with the Ketorit. And he was standing between the dead and the living. And then the angel of death was like trying to do his work. And Aharon grabbed his hand and was like, nope, can't do anything today. And he's just like, who are you? And he's like, well, Moshe sent me to stop you. And he's like, oh, so you're sent by Moshe and you think that I'm supposed to listen to that? And then the rebuttal was, well, who does Moshe speak in the name of? Does Moshe not do anything unless it's from Hashem? Does he only speak unless it's from Hashem? Oh my goodness. Now I'm interrupting this tag that I made from Yovel and saying, when did Mashiach ever say these same words? Did he not say I only speak what I hear my father speaking to me, the words that I have are not my words, but the words of the one who sent me. I don't know. I only do what I see my father doing in Hashemai, you know, like, okay, so it's all that. But anyway, then there was this kind of the end of that little drop because it was just like, wow, like Trump card or Moshe card just happened. And it was just kind of like, okay, well, I guess we're done here. All right, but anyway, the plague stopped. Yes, okay, back to this drop. It says, the portal of Gehenna be brought near, i.e. God should transport the portal of Gehenna to the spot where Korach and his followers were standing. Boy, that's messed up. Just like, yeah, the place where he's standing, why don't you move the portal to right about there? Korach coordinates, Korach ordinance, right there. Boy, that was terrible. I, I couldn't even say that pun. That was terrible. All right. Anyway, um, now it says the next one, the word harem can refer to ostracism because it's talking about Korak and his assembly. They're called a harem. 
And uh, again, Ishpela brings down. Isn't the word for mercy Rachem? And I'm like, yes. And basically, if you take the Chet from Cherem and move it to after the Resh, which would be the middle letter of Korach's name, okay, right? So if you put the 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 Chet after the Resh as opposed to before the Resh, it becomes Rachem. So, yeah. So, uh, that... That's kind of crazy that his assembly could have been a, a assembly of mercy, depending on where they put the chet. Okay, so rachem is the word for mercy, but here it's the word cherem, and it says cherem can refer to ostracism, destruction, condemnation, death. Now there's this whole thing too. Ishpela, I'm just dropping everything Ishpela right now. It's all bahaturim because. That's just what he decided to go with today. Normally it's the green book, but now it's the blue book. Okay. Now it says that Korak was a wise man with a crazy woman. That's the Emet insert. Okay. Uh, we already talked about the crazy woman. Okay. That's Second Timothy 3 6. Okay. Anyway, uh, so Korak being a wise man, though, is Bami Bar Rabbah 18 8. And it's also cited in Rashi 2, verse 7 of our Torah portion this week. Then it says, All 250 of his followers were exceptional scholars. Heads of courts of law, Bamibar 18, Rabbah 18.3. Okay, so you got super smart homeboy and then 250 now, I'm going to say 250 other people who are just like lights out, get you some, speak Hebrew as an embryo all the way out to the day of their birth type. What in the world is this type Torah scholars? So, I mean, the people who rebelled against Moshe, these aren't your uh, these aren't lackeys or Google jockeys or anybody who was of. Uh, any kind of nonsense as far as they had book smarts. And that's the thing. That's it's like the, that's what you got to watch out for. People who rebel, who are so smart, and who are so puffed up. And again, I don't need to go into this, but I'm going into it, obviously, because I already said that. Um, and I went over this in Rock and Roll, even though I did it briefly. I was one of those people who thought thought I was so smart. I thought I was so scholarly. And then I ended up rebelling against leadership and it was a suicide mission, just like in this week's tour portion. It's a suicide mission. And again, I said and stop rock and roll, shameless plugs right now, that going against your leadership is suicide. Like, sorry, Hashem placed an anointing there. It's like you're going to go against Hashem. So, if you want to go against Hashem, have fun boxing him because your arms aren't long enough. Then, um, there's all sorts of other details uh, that you really just really don't want. You don't want no problems. That's another way to say it. Alright, anyway, scholars. Amazing, right? You're thinking, surely these people would not rebel because Moshe gave them the Torah. He's teaching them the Torah. And they should be subordinate to that. 
But there comes a level where the student who it's enough for him to be like his teacher. I'm, you know, I'm not really going to gospel me on this or say, quote me on this. But isn't it interesting that the terminology of the phrase is it's enough for the student to be like his teacher or the Talmud to be like his Rebbe or the follower to be like his leader? Isn't it enough? Like, in other words, you're not going to rise above your teacher. So if you're upset with your teacher, you might want to be upset with yourself because you chose him to be your teacher. So, yeah, there's that. See, that's really the thing. With any problem that we have, we just need to start with ourselves. Don't turn it outside because that's what happened with Adam and Hava. The reason why we're in a fallen state of humanity right now is because nobody took the blame for their own actions. It was all deflection. And this is why when you're teaching people about Torah and you're telling them about the gospel, they want to go, well, what about Susie over there? Or what about little Timmy over there? What about, you know, homeboy in the far deep woods that has never even heard the name Yeshua and all this kind of stuff? What about, you know, uh, previous generations of people who passed away? Stop the deflection. Just literally stop it. Because you know that Hashem has taken care of everything. So, is Hashem really going to leave people with uh, a bunch of excuses? Is he really going to be a God that lacks in mercy? You know? But the fact that you're getting the opportunity to hear truth spoken to you, and the opportunity to receive that and walk in it, we should be grateful for that, and go ahead and keep spreading that to other people so that everybody is truly left without excuse because either you're going to do it or Hashem's going to choose somebody else so why are you wasting time right anyway say all that to say um you know we all just when when we hear his voice today if you hear his voice today if you hear it listen to him enter into his rest i mean it, it really is nice Obviously, we feel kind of weird because you're just like, but they don't want to be Jewish and people don't like Jews. Well, check it out. People don't like Jews because Jews aren't doing what they're supposed to do. What are Jews supposed to be doing? Oh, my goodness. I'm glad you asked because Hashem says you are to be a light to the nations. And I'm sorry, but if you have a whole world full of I'm not sorry. If you have a whole world full of people that are walking in loving kindness, that are truly walking in the likeness of Mashiach Yeshua, uh, there's your world peace right there. It'll literally be a world of peace right there. So we all should just be shining the light of Torah, even if it's weird, even if you don't think people are going to accept it, because the only way Torah is truly transmitted into the heart of man is by the Ruach HaKodesh. But if it's not being transmitted, then that's a problem. So there's that. How in the world did I get way over there? Talking about some scholars. Okay, so now it says, and whereas the Talmud refers to the give and take, the thrusts and the parries of Torah study, the battle of Torah, Sanhedrin 111b and Chagiga 14a, Korach and his men can be described as armed for battle. 
for they possessed the weapons needed in Milkama Shell Torah. See, they didn't even translate that into uh, English, but thank you, Hashem, that we know Hebrew. So, Milchama is war, Shell means of, Torah is Torah. Yeah, so the war of Torah is what we we talk about here. So, if you're doing the give and take and thrust and parries of Torah study, you have now become part of Milkama Shell Torah. You have now become a Avenger. You have now become a Zadaka League member. You have now become a Talmud, which is a get you some. Okay? So, that's crazy. Then it says, when they perished, those weapons, which is their scholarship, their keenness of thought, also perished with them. That is from Vehur Lazav, based on Maharam Mi Rothenberg, i.e. from the Bahaturim. Okay, all the above. That's a whole bunch of sources where you'll get you some. And then it says their deaths were a form of suicide for their willful rebellion was a capital sin. See Targamon Kalos. Really? Did we just get a shameless Targamon Kalos drop from Bahaturim? Let's look at it. So, Targamon Kalos talking about the deaths and the perishing of the peoples. Ooh, such a wonderful topic. Man, don't we just love talking about Gehenna and all sorts of stuff like that? Okay, so I'm over here with the Targum. 250 men uh death of that group okay check this out so 1635 the question debated among commentaries is whether korach is among the 250 ibn ezra discusses the debate refers to 2610 the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with korach during the death of that group when the fire annihilated the 250 men Ibn Ezra notes that some people read the verse to say Korach was among those who were swallowed up by the earth, reading the verse until the comma, while others say that Korach was among those who were consumed by fire. Reading with Korach, which is the subsequent phrase concerning the death of by fire. Still others in the Babylonian Talmud, Sanhedrin 110a. Oh, we've heard that before. Contend that Korach was burned and swallowed up. Makala brought that down in her bat mitzvah last year. Double death of Korach. And then that was also uh, tagged and re-supported and restated by Yovel that Korach died two deaths. We also know about a second death in Revelation. So there's that. Here's your precedent right here. So correction. Second death happened in Parsha Korach. Okay, anyway... Um, it says that the second opinion was burned, and while that means that uh, 251 people perished by the flame, Ibn Kaspi explains the Torah frequently rounds off numbers. All right, so where are we at with the people who lost? Okay, those who were burned, da, da, da. they may refer to rebels. Okay, fire translates words. Uh, 
Where's Targamonkalos going to talk about this at? Who acted wrongly? Uh, the Babylonian Talmud Sanhedrin 52a indicates the following phrase, Beit Nafshotam, at the cost of their lives. Okay, real quick, swerve. So Mashiach says, count the cost of being my Talmud. So there's a cost implied, namely that you're going to have to nullify yourself and all your desires and take up on his self and his desires. I.e., you should walk, talk, and think like the one that you follow, which is Mashiach. These people here, they did not count the cost of what it meant to separate yourself from the community. Because, again, Vayichach Korach, Vayichach means to take and separate yourself at your own cost, at your own thought, at your own speech. So, that's the opposite of being a disciple. Okay, I wonder how much that costs. Apparently, uh, stocks were low in that one. Okay, so it says at the cost of their lives, and then it says nefesh, which is a soul, meaning it never had. Okay, but only later, their souls were burned, but their bodies remained unharmed. Here's our Nadab and Avihu. Then, because you know the 250 men and Korok also perished like Nadab and Avihu, so this literally was suicide. It's just like, did no one ever learn from the day we were all like, lie, 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 lie. and Nadab and Avihu are like gone. Too much wine, and they ran into the Holy of Holies because they were thinking that they were friends of God. Anyway, um, so the other one it says. They were burned because of their culpable souls. Bekor score interprets Nefesh according to the biblical meaning, a person. And understands the Bible to state, their blood is upon their own heads. Alright, so... I thought they were going to really go into the people who died. Oh, here we go. Nachmanides seemingly reversing himself and saying both of his answers indicate Moshe and Aaron were instructed to plead for God's mercy and forgiveness for the rebels. If so, if one believes that their merit alone would save the rebels, why should Moshe and Aaron move? Because they're talking about why to separate. Um, yeah. Separate from these people. Kept as a sign. Then goes into the staff meeting. Okay, so I don't know where in Ankylos that really specifically makes that statement, but you know, that's Burkashem. All cool. Alright, so obviously we gotta throw in some Midrash, get you some. It says when Korak and his 250 followers appeared before the Mishkan, Bob Oker in the morning. The entire congregation of Israel was present. Everybody there. Okay. Korach's claim that his dispute was for communal benefit had won over the people sufficiently that no one voiced a protest. Some people began to believe that after all, there might be some truth in Korach's claim. Maybe Hashem would agree to restore the kahuna to the firstborn. Because, you know, there's this whole thing, too. The firstborn of every household used to be literally 
Kohanim. They used to be high priests. Like, literally, that was the priest of the household. That whole thing about the priest of the household, that's, that's where that came from. Because before the golden calf, every firstborn was that. Firstborns are, like, completely special. That's why we have to understand Mashiach is the firstborn of Hashem. And so he's forever a king and a priest and all that wonderfulness. And that's Rashid. That's what Bereshit, like in the beginning, or in my firstborn, you know, creation, et, all of creation. And my firstborn is all of creation. That that just happened. Okay. I'm trying to read here. Okay, so some people began to believe that after all, oh yeah, so the, the firstborn, they wanted to restore it. It's just like, but you did the golden calf and you were completely okay with it. So why do you think now that you're upset and completely going against everything, Torah? Now you're not just making a golden calf, you're being a golden calf. So you think that that's going to help the situation? I don't think so. I'm getting uh, just not right there. Okay, so... It says, Moshe and Aharon stood at the entrance of the Ohel Moed on one side, Korak with his 250 men on the other side, Red Rover, Red Rover, let somebody come over. Okay, they held pans that had been donated by Korak, because Korak was so rich, he was like, I'm going to furnish everybody, I'm going to give everybody a car, right now. And then he says that, uh, he donated them. He was wealthy. His household contained 250 suitable pans. These weren't just average pans. Because remember, everything that's used as a vessel and the Mishkan, it's like super expensive stuff. So then it says, uh, he distributed to among his followers. The Shekinah appeared in the cloud of glory at the entrance of the Ohel Moed. And the Almighty commanded Moshe and Aharon, separate yourselves from the rest of the people, and I shall consume them in an instant. The Almighty's anger was kindled all the Jews uh, against all the Jews because they had not protested against Korah. If you didn't protest, it was as if you were like, yeah, I agree with that. That's cool. This is why we don't go to parties that are uh, of holidays and festivals that are not Torah based. Because it's saying, yeah, you know, I don't really celebrate this, but, you know, I'm okay with it because I'm here. Anybody want something to drink? And it's just like, ooh, don't do that. Okay, then it says the Almighty's anger was kindled against all the Jews because they had not protested. By casting doubt upon the truth of Moshe's words, the Jews were considered as though they had attacked Hashem. So now if you attack Moshe, you attack Hashem. So, yeah, that's Sanhedrin 110A. Good night. This is everywhere. All right, so we are getting close to the end of our first segment. I feel like I haven't really said anything, but um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back after this. All right, and welcome back. Okay, part two. Let's not delay anymore. So I was in the middle of talking about the 250 people that were all fired up uh, in a bad way. It's a fire pan episode. Uh, brought to you by Corruption. Okay, so. Okay. He was Corrocking. 
and he unleashed the Karakin. Okay, um, so in the middle of this episode, the cloud of glory comes down, then the fire consumes the people. It says, Moshe and Aharon fell upon their faces and entreated Hashem to spare the congregation. So, Moshe and Aharon are like one and the same as far as the way that they respond and they're acting as far as when it comes to the people. Moshe's concerned for the people. Aharon's concerned for the people. Moshe is bringing the Torah down. Aharon is bringing the people up. And so with these two literally together, they're the connection point of the people and and the Torah. So both of them are like, please spare the people. And they're like, they argued, Hashem, you know every man's, you know every person's mind. A human king may have to annihilate all his subjects, even if only some of them rebel against him. Slika. It says, because he cannot distinguish the guilty from the innocent. Oh my goodness. That's the beauty about Hashem. He can distinguish the guilty from the innocent. That's why everybody didn't have to die. Okay? Then it says, you, however, know that B'nai Israel are not rebelling against you. They have merely came here because Korak persuaded them to do so. It is only Korak who has rebelled against you. Hashem replied, your tefillah is accepted. I shall act mercifully towards the people. Only Korak, Dayton, Abiram, and their families will be destroyed. Now, that's the decree, right? So you would think, Hashem just was like, this is it. This is how we're going to do it. So if you believe what Hashem said and you believe what Hashem is going to do, if you're a part of the all grace and no action movement, um, you might want to pay close to this because a lot of time is lapid. Again, it's like beating a dead rug. Man, it's so exciting to see that y'all are like doing Jewish stuff and you're believing in Messiah, but why are you like working for your salvation? It's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to melt and I'm going to roll down the carpet like they did in the cartoons where they the character like completely became wax and just rolled down the stairs. Like I just feel like that sometimes. I just feel like, oh my goodness, like how is this not? First of all, Jews believe in hell and second of all, we don't work for our salvation. We have salvation. And as Aleph Mem Tov got to get you some said in his song called New Source, I was bought with a price, so I'm joyfully just paying my bills. But anyway, even without going into that, listen to this. It says, only Korak, Dayton, and Abiram and their families will be destroyed. Command the people to distance themselves from the tents of these wicked men and to touch no really not only remove yourself but don't even touch nothing once the destroying angel is let loose he consumes all that he finds in the vicinity of the wicked distance yourself are you serious how do you distance yourself from the wicked mainly by not doing what they do Mainly by not going where they go. Mainly by not making your habitation where they make their habitation. 
Don't make their possessions your possessions. That's the most simple answer that I can give you. And if you think about that, when you become Shomer Mitzvot, you start keeping the Shabbat. You start keeping the festivals. You start going to shul and not going to church. You're distancing yourself from the wicked. Okay? That's awkward on so many levels. I get it. One day, it won't be awkward. And one day, all of the things that we consider awkward now will be more awkward if we don't start making changes and making improvements. Okay? You don't want Mashiach to show up and really bring the hammer down or the rod. You don't want him to bring that down and be like, Oh my goodness, I didn't know I was not supposed to do that. It's just like, don't you have a Bible? Aren't people preaching my truth? Aren't you um, filled with my Ruach? What's the Ruach HaKodesh leading you to do? If it's the Ruach HaKodesh, I guarantee you, it's leading you to seek out the Torah of Moses. Okay? Anyway, I digress. It says... Hearing God's decree, Moshe attempted to speak to Datan and Abiram in order to spare them from destruction. Are you kidding me? The hammer has been dropped and Moshe's like, uh, Slicha, can can I have an opportunity with Datan and Abiram? It's just like, but I've already sent them to judgment. It's like, I know, I know, but there's this whole thing about I don't want any man to perish. I don't want any man to perish. Sounds like Hashem. You know, Hashem is not slow in keeping his promise. But he the delay in the return of Mashiach is because he wants no man to perish. So Moshe is like, own it. He's just like, man, everything about to be destroyed. But I just want to go talk to people that are not Korak, that are controlled by Korak. And I want to let them know. Like, I want to just talk to them. I want to go intercede for them and ask them to make Teshuvah. That's us, everybody. You know, because if we don't, if we don't walk in righteousness, if we don't make Teshuvah on top of Teshuvah, we're sentenced to death because that's what we're choosing. If you don't choose life, you're choosing death, whether you actively do it or passively do it. And it's like you're under a sentence of judgment but the redeemer so desperately wants to keep you from judgment that he's just like will you just make teshuva will you just convert will you just do a mitzvah and it's just like you know what i love you so much redeemer that yes i will i don't know what came over me maybe it was the cake that cora fed me cake is really good but torah is better i promise you okay but anyway I just think that's a beautiful heart of Moshe right there. Then it says, followed by the 70 elders, Moshe himself walked towards Datan and Abiram's tent. Wow. So you got 71 people coming to Datan and Abiram. He felt certain that they would receive the leader of Israel respectfully. However, the wicked refused to appear at the entrance of their tents to even speak with them. That's messed up. Behold, he stands at the door, or behold, he stands at the tent, knocking, knocking on the door of their heart, and they're just like, eh, well, 
and I don't, I don't know. I'm watching Netflix right now, or I don't know. I'm just uh, too preoccupied with uh, family traditions right now, or oh man, I'm just I'm so like chasing after my ambitions and my goals right now. I don't have time for this, you know. And it's just like, wow, you're just gonna leave him hanging. It's messed up. You know, uh, you know, we all have to make this choice. We all have to go, you know what? What am I really fixated and focused on in my life? You know, and really think about that because if it's not Hashem, then, you know, you're kind of like leaving yourself in a position of Datan and Abiram because you're going to focus on things that are temporary because this world, we only get like, maybe 70 to 120 years somewhere in that range you know if we are fortunate and blessed and and things like that but man do you really want to take that amount of time versus the amount of time that's in the hand of Hashem because in his hands somewhere I've heard that there are pleasures and pleasures evermore but the thing is Hashem's pleasure and our pleasure seem to be two different definitions. Because what we think is pleasure, I mean, yeah, it's nice, but think about the one who created pleasure. Now, when he says something is pleasure, that's pleasure. So, you know, we have to really kind of shake ourselves up and be like, hey, hey, wait, wait, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get over here or get over there. Go, go to him. Come to the king. Take me to the king. Okay. Anyway. So they didn't, they, they just left Moshe staying there. Moshe thereupon commanded the congregation of Israel. Moshe commanded, but listen at this phrase, according to Hashem's instructions. You see, when Mashiach speaks a command, it's already spoken by the mouth of Hashem. That's why he says, I only speak what my father speaks. I only speak what the one who sent me has spoken. I.e., Mashiach's Torah is Hashem's Torah, the Torah of Moshe. The commandments of Yeshua are the commandments of Hashem. They're not separate. They're not different. They're not a few commandments here and there scattered throughout the Brit Hadashah. They're already spoken for. They're already accounted for. And there are 613 of them. Just get you some. Okay? Anyway, just want to point that out. Moshe thereupon commanded. And it was according to Hashem's instructions. Guess what his command was? what we already read earlier depart from the tents of the wicked and touch nothing of theirs lest you yourselves be destroyed because of their sins all right so there's that love how the commandments are just echoes all right so i'm gonna go to um why don't i go here real quick so the name J E S U S C H R I S T I E J C uh the non Hebrew name of Messiah Yeshua. Okay? So this name that is not Yeshua HaMashiach, but a different name, is so many problems to it. 
First of all, if you're a follower of Yeshua HaMashiach, it's important to not call him JC. Okay, like the full acronym or call him J-E-S-U-S. Why? Okay, so first of all, and stop Korak and Roll. Okay, all my droshes are just connected, so I guess I should just stop doing that. But in that drosh, I was talking about some individuals who visited our shul on Shabbat. And they are believers and they are getting turned up. And, um, you know, one of them spoke from their own mouth and said, you know, that's the thing about the Hebrew name is it gives a picture of who the person is. Now, obviously, that was uncalled for, but that's what he said. And I'm like. Boy, I'm going to come across this table and just tackle you in love, obviously. Because I know he's new. He probably don't know anything about that. What we do at Lapid, we're like really just, we love you so much, but it's like we're so violent. It's just like, because we don't know how to express ourselves. It's just so exciting. Okay, but anyway, if a net, like literally, the name gives a picture. Now, that's not MSU because... If you start studying Hebrew, you realize the letters themselves are pictures. So if you break down each letter, you start getting these pictures and you start getting these phrases. So uh, since I don't have those uh, in front of me right now, I'm not even going to go into that. But Yeshua HaMashiach is a distinct picture and that picture is not there at best, when you start calling him J-E-S-U-S-C-H-R-I-S-T, when you start calling him Jesus Christ, if you start calling him that, you're taking away the picture of who he truly is. I know, I know. Go ahead, let the comments out. Let them go. All right, cool. Everybody good? All right, great. Now that we've de D uh uh let we now that we've let that out decompressed. Let's go back to our picture. So Yeshua HaMashiach cast a picture, he cast a meaning, his name has all of that in it. Now here's the deal. When his name was translated from Hebrew into Greek, which is the writings of the Brit Hadashah. The writings of the Brit Hadashah are Aramaic and Greek. Okay, Greek was like the English of today. Okay, it's like English is like everywhere. But in synagogue, we speak Hebrew when we read from the text. And even in our Torah studies, we read the Hebrew. Now we're learning to speak Hebrew, I know, but we still, we speak Hebrew. Shabbat Shalom. I mean, what's that? That's Hebrew. Or uh, Lila Tov. That's Hebrew. That's good night. Okay. So, yeah, we may not fluently speak Hebrew or a lot of Hebrew, but we're speaking Hebrew. So, get you some of that. But anyway, um, his name, when it's translated into Greek, they take away one letter. Okay. That letter that they take away is the letter Ayin, because there is no way to translate the letter ayin into the the greek okay so now when you get into greek 
you got everything but the ayin for his name Yeshua. And then they add on a, a common ending to the word. So it's like, this is the Greek that we could translate from the Hebrew. Now let's just throw this on because that's a common ending for Greek. Now, that common ending is what made the uh, the us at the end of Yeshua's name. Because at the beginning, it's just Yeshu. Okay, that sounds close to Yeshu, right? Now, obviously, Chasve Shalom, that's a bad name as well. Uh, because that's an acronym for May, Hashem, May Yeshua's name be erased. Like Yesh, Shem, and the word for erase starts with a Vav. I don't know, because um, that's not my thing. So, um, but yeah, that acronym. So you may hear people going, oh, they're calling him that. It's like, oh, they know him. And it's just like, no, they're trying to erase him. Don't do that. Run away. Okay. Add an ayin and get you some. So, with the Greek and this whole, like, half name thing, you're changing the picture. You're changing who he is. Because, by definition, if you start saying Achad is, oh, we don't need that Dalit. Let's just put a Resh there. It now becomes Acher, which means another. So, Hashem is another, like an ancient, no, like a foreign deity like a different deity. Hashem is not one. Hashem is another. And it's just like, another what? Another God? Now there's multiple gods? Last time I checked, there's only one king of the universe. That's why we say Melech Ha'olam, not Melechim Ha'olam. Chas Shalom. Anyway, so that's what you're doing with Yeshua's name. So if you wouldn't do it with his father's name, why are you going to do it with the son's name? I digress. Now here's the deal. So we're talking about going into Greek, right? We know, okay, so just, just to put it out there, the J, the letter J was not originally a part of the English language, the English alphabet. It was added about 400 years ago. So what were they calling Yeshua's name in English before that? I'm going to go ahead and say Joshua, but you know, I could be wrong. I don't know. Why don't we just call him Yeshua since that's completely easy to say. It's not that hard. Okay, but anyway. Now, in Greek, there was this uh, very little known uh, major event. Yes, I know what I said. Little known major event called Hanukkah. Hanukkah happened because some Greeks were like, we're just going to go and defile the temple because, you know, everything doesn't have to be so pure like all these different restrictions and all these different stringencies that people have like let's just go break all the seals to the oil that's supposed to be poured into the menorah to make the menorah lit you know if we just break the seals we didn't contaminate the oil we just broke the seals they're just sitting there it's no problem it doesn't have to be like a completely you know sealed unopened vessel to light the menorah, you can, I can break all these seals right now and I can go take that oil and I can go pour it into the menorah and be fine. I ain't got to say no brock. I can just pour it right in. Seal was broken. It was open for a while. It's just been sitting there abandoned, turned over on the side. It's, it's totally fine. I don't know what's wrong with y'all Jews. Y'all need to loosen up. 
or y'all need to lighten up. Okay, that's terrible, right? So, with that example, the Greeks wanted to take away the light. Now, Shoresh is another one of our Avengers. He brings down that the eyes of man are like two candlesticks. Okay? Mashiach says that the eye is the lamp of the body. Right? Where am I going with this? The letter Ayin literally is the word for eyes. It's the letter for eyes. So if you take out the Ayin of Yeshua, you have gouged out the eyes of Yeshua. You've gouged out the lights. And it's interesting that Greece would do that. That the Greek language would take out the eye. Just like they took out the light of the menorah. Which is why Hanukkah is so important because we're bringing the light back. The miracle was that Hashem caused light when there shouldn't have been light. The miracle basically is that Hashem gave the ayin back to the people. And we celebrate it on eight nights. Get you some. Now, let's go ahead and escalate this some more. Now, when you think about Mashiach's name going into Greek, going into Rome, Everything about Mashiach Yeshua is all about closing the eyes and covering it up. Because when you don't have any light, you will not, I repeat, you will not be able to see the Torah. We say this little known bracha every single day when we put on the light of Hashem, which is the Talit, which is the Zitzit, by the way. So if you want to be in the light as he is in the light, you got to wear Zitzit because the Zitzit are light. They're the mitzvot. They're the Torah. The Torah is the light. The lamp is the mitzvah. That's Mishle. Now check this out. Rome, Greece, everything about Yeshua in a non-Jewish format is about covering up Judaism, covering up Torah, covering up mitzvot. That's why there's been thousands of years where no one has known that there is a Torah, that there's an oral Torah, that there's a Mashiach in everything when it comes to Judaism. You know, why do we kiss the mezuzah? Because we want to kiss the sun lest he be angry. You know, why do we want to celebrate the Shabbat? Well, because we want to eat at the king's table. Why do we want to keep all the festivals? Because we want to be filled with the Ruach. Because the Ruach is poured out at each and every festival. And then it's just like, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do that? Because we want to know Hashem. We want to follow Mashiach. Mashiach kept every festival. Mashiach did the mitzvot. I mean, what more do we need? Right? But anyway, I'll keep going just because I, I should. Now, everything's been covered up. So if you don't have the ayin, this is why you can't see Torah. You need to have the ayin because by his light, we shall see light. If you have the light of Yeshua, which will be the eyes, if you know Yeshua, I guarantee you, you will be able to see the light of Torah because you're saying to Hashem, Hashem, give me eyes to see. Eyes to see. You need that. So if you take away the eye, you're covering out, you're covering up the light, you're taking out the light, you're taking away Torah. This is why followers of JC are considered to be 
workers of iniquity because they're destitute of the Mosaic law, yet Hashem and His grace has throughout centuries caused everyone who follows Yeshua HaMashiach, even though they were covered with their eyes, that they were still able to find, you know, parts of Torah. There was one point, the Ten Commandments were a thing. And even though Shabbat was kept on the wrong day, they were still trying to keep a Shabbat. But now, Shabbat's on the wrong day and nobody even is trying to keep Shabbat. So it's just like, whoa, what is happening? How about we just go back to the original Torah, which is what Slika, which is what OT stands for. It's not Old Testament. It's original Torah or oral Torah. So we all need to get there, right? Burgeshim. All right. So anyway, just wanted to bring that up because I was talking about that and I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this whole thing with the Ayin. Like, we got to quote Yeshua's name correctly. What's in a name? Apparently, a lot. Okay. So there's that. Pearl K. De Rebbe Eliezer. There's my country accent again coming out. So this one time I said that, you know, children look like their parents and that uh, Adam looked like a Shem and Abraham looked like Adam and Yitzhak looked like Abraham and Yaakov looked like Abraham and Yosef looked like Yaakov. Synopsis, put it all together or summarization. They all look like Adam. They all look like a Shem. Now that probably escalated quickly for a lot of people who didn't hear stop rock and roll but uh here's some source so this is from chapter 11 it says that Adam, the animals saw him talking about adam adam was just created brought forth from the earth yeah i'm doing a mike tyson stare at my own recording device right now because it says well i just said adam was brought forth from the earth like, are you kidding me? Like, resurrection already? Man was just born, and it's already likened to a resurrection. Good night. Okay. The animals saw him and were frightened. Thinking he was their creator, they bowed down before him. There you go. So, the animals uh, were frightened. They thought he was a shem, and they started bowing down before him. Here's humility. Just think about if Korok was in this situation, he would have been like loving it. But we need to not be like that. We need a correction. And it says, he said, you have come to bow down to me. Instead, let us, you and I, dawn grandeur and might, declaring the kingship of the one who created us. A king cannot declare his own kingship. It is the people who declare the kingship of a king. If the people do not declare the king's kingship, he cannot declare it himself. Oh, okay. So let's go ahead and jump to Yeshua HaMashiach real quick. If Yeshua is David Melech, Melech Yisrael, because David is the name of Mashiach, by the way. It's called the greater David, according to the Midrash. So if Mashiach is our king, it's not because he declared it to be, it's because we declare it to be. Because the king doesn't declare his kingship, it's the people who are his subjects that say, you are our king. So that's important. Uh, wow. 
So anyway, I was just going that to say that the creation decided to try to worship Adam because they thought he was Hashem because that he looked like Hashem. So there's that. And Mashiach called the second Adam. So who does he look like? Okay. So now, as if we even needed to do this, but I want to, Gehenna, a.k.a. Hell. Okay, more, dude, there is more information, more sources on Gehenna than you would ever be able to shake a stick at. All right. So first of all, I want to start with chapter 29 of Pearl K. De Rebbe Eliezer. He's talking about the covenant of circumcision. This covenant is called Milah. It's normally called a Brit or a Bris. Okay. Milah, Brit, Bris is a circumcision. Okay. It's a covenant. And it's called a mark of the covenant. And if you don't have this mark, you might want to think about how you're in covenant. Because if you don't have what Abraham had, and if you don't plan on getting it, then uh, you better have a really good reason for that. Like, you know, something along the lines of, well, I might possibly die if I get circumcised, which is halakha, by the way. If uh, someone in the family was supposed to get circumcised, but they've had two people previously die from being circumcised, then you don't circumcise this person. So there's medical uh, sense to all this. You don't just blindly follow this this concept called life over life over law. Okay, Brukshim. So now it says the eighth trial of Abraham when he was ninety nine years old. Bereshit seventeen one. Hakadosh Baruchu said to him, "Walk before me and be perfect. Until now you were imperfect, but I thought." Hashem accredited to him his righteousness because he believed. She's like, yeah, that's imperfect, though. I need you to be perfect. It's like, hmm. Mashiach also says, you know, be perfect like your father who's in heaven. He said that in the Besorah. So I'm going to read here. It says, until now you were imperfect. Circumcise your foreskin and you will become perfect as you walk before me. The foreskin is the greatest blemish and most defiled of all organs. As it says, O Yerushalayim, holy city, for uncircumcised and defiled people will no longer enter you. Yeshayahu 52.1 By circumcising yourself, you walk before me in perfection. Okay, quick, quick side note here. We're going to go ahead and uh, top this off. Rabban Gamliel says Abraham asked Shem, Shem, the son of Noach, to perform this milah on him and on his son Yishmael. Abraham did it himself. Right. Also, Shem helped him. Okay. Then it says, on that very day, Abraham said, or Abraham and his son were circumcised. Bereshit 17.26 The clause on this very day, Be'etzim, implies at noon, when the heat of the sun is at its peak. 
The expression be'edzim is also used in connection with Yom Kippur. As it says, do not do any work be'edzim, which is on this very day, for it is the Day of Atonement, Vayikra 23:28. Drawing an analogy between the two passages in which the word be'edzim is used, we conclude that Abraham underwent milah on Yom Kippur. Every year on Yom Kippur, HaKadosh Baruch Hu views the blood of Abraham's milah and forgives all our transgressions. But some other sources say on Yom Kippur, Abraham or Hashem views the blood of the Akedah. There you go. Okay, so your circumcision is likened to an atonement sacrifice by the only begotten son, because that's what Yitzhak was called. And that's obviously what Yeshua HaMashiach is called. Okay, so anyway, it says that he sees his blood, forgives all our transgressions. That it says, for on his day, he shall provide atonement for you to cleanse you from all your sins. Vayikra 1630. Hmm. I'm just chuckling to myself because it says he shall provide atonement for you. Like... Namely, Hashem himself shall provide atonement, like offer himself as atonement for us. Abraham's blood was absorbed in the earth in the place he underwent the Milah. And the altar of the Beit HaMikdash was built there. Also says this is where the Isaac or the ashes of Yitzhak of Isaac were placed. And that's how they knew where to put the altar so now we got the Akedah and the blood of the circumcision uh, being the same thing, which we see is the blood that's on the doorposts during Pesach that we read in Shemot and Parashah Bo that says that there is blood on the doorpost. You shall see the bloods on the doorpost as a sign. That's the blood of the lamb and the blood of the circumcision because on Pesach night, people got circumcised by... Yehoshua, which is Joshua, which is Yeshua, and did not we get circumcised on the day Mashiach was crucified? That was circumcision day. When we accepted his death as an atonement for us, we cut off the foreskin of our hearts. So, Rukshim, it says that, therefore, the Kohen shall pour out its remaining blood on the base of the altar Vayikra 4.34 and I say to you in your blood live I say to you in your blood live Yehezekiel 16.6 Rabbi Hanina Bendosa says on the third day after the Milah the pain is most acute as it says on the third day when the people were in agony Bereshit 34.25 Therefore, the sages ruled, if the third day after Milah falls on Shabbat, it is permitted to wash the infant, even with water that has been heated on the Shabbat, because all labors needed for the Milah are permitted on Shabbat. They just said you can start a fire, boil some water, and wash on the Shabbat. For the sake of the third day of the circumcision. Yeah, they just went there. Alright, so here's our Gehenim drop. And I, I don't know if I need to say it, but just in case I need to say it. 
This is why Mashiach healed on the Shabbat. And the amazing Hassan brought down daily daily dose of Torah this past Shabbat, saying that we shouldn't really be making personal requests on Shabbat. But the third bracha of the Birkat Hamazon has personal requests in it. And then on the Shabbat edition for the Birkat Hamazon, it has even more personal requests. And we were going into this thing about how, you know, we need to pray for the return and the day of the Lord to not be a, uh, to not happen on Shabbat. And then obviously I was saying the healings on Shabbat. So here's the thing. We want to make sure that the Shabbat is not a hardship, that it's a day that we can all enjoy. And we're supposed to increase the Shabbat, not decrease the Shabbat. And so I submit to you, if there is someone who is lame, chances are if it's Shabbat and that lame person can walk, I guarantee you they'll have a better Shabbat than if they were lame and have to try to figure out some things. So let that sink in for a little bit. Just wanted to share that. It's incredible when you really start putting the pieces together. A day of intense heat. Here we go. So this is Perkade Rebbe Eliezer, chapter 29, page 104. Get you some of this. Rabban Gamliel, son of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Okay, heavy hitters right here. On the third day after his Mila, Avraham was in great pain. This was a test to determine if he would complain about God's mitzvah to undergo Mila. This is why I always say, how did Abraham do it? How did Abraham observe the mitzvah at a time where it's so excruciating, so painful, so ostracizing, so just, oh my goodness, end of my rope. Abraham did not complain. Abraham sought Hashem. May we all be like our father Abraham. Even the Midrash says that when Abraham was thrown into the fiery furnace by Nimrod, that the Malachim, namely Gabriel and uh, Mikael, they wanted to go down and save him. And Hashem said, no, Abraham is one in the world, just like I am one in all the universe. So let me save this one. As I am one. So let the one save the one. I.e. Abraham is likened to the oneness of Hashem. Because just as Hashem is one. And all of creation and all of the universe. So is Abraham in the world. There is none like Abraham. And literally in his day there was no one like him. He was the only one. Well him and his household. So whose household are you a part of? Because Father Abraham has many sons. And many sons has Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. Rukshem, Bezratashem. And then it says, What did Hakadosh Baruch Hu do? He pierced a hole into Gehenna, causing a great or causing as great a heat to descend upon the earth as on the day when the wicked will be punished. All right, I'm just going to stop right there. That's, I mean, what more do you need to say? Gehenna is uh, it's there. Also says that uh, Abraham sits at the entrance to the gate of Gehenna 
and uh, he applies the foreskins of the stillborns to those who have under or who have uh, undone their circumcision through living a life of lawlessness. So there, there's that. You know what? Before y'all think I'm MSU in it, where was that on page 104? Let me go ahead and get that source. Source it out. Y'all just tell me. Source it out. It wasn't 104. Oh, it was the other 104. Okay. <laughs> the first per okay. All right, check this out. Abraham sat at the entrance of his tent to cool off in the wind. As it says, he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the hottest part of the day. Bereshit 18.1 Said HaKadosh Baruchu to the ministering angels, Let us visit, for doing acts of kindness is very important to me. The Malachim immediately went down and visited Abraham. God said to the angels, See how powerful Mila is. Before Abraham underwent Mila, he was so awestruck by my presence that he threw himself on his face. And only then did I speak with him. As it says, Abraham threw himself on his face. Bereshit 17.17 Now that he's undergone Mila, he is sitting and I am standing. As it says, he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. Bereshit 18.1 And he lifted his eyes and saw that there were men standing over him. Bereshit 18.2 You're like, I didn't see Gehenna on there. Alright, so... Let's see here. Blood of Mila and Pesach, Covenant, Orla with Dust, Eliyahu. All right. I know it's in here. Actually, I thought I should have found it before I did this podcast so that I didn't have to deal with this. But I'm going to deal with it. Um, oh, this is cool. Not deflecting, I promise. Okay, uh, Rabbi Yochanan says all non-Jews who enter into Jewish community are circumcised of their own free will and with the fear of Hashemayim in their hearts. Nevertheless, we cannot be sure they will not backslide until after seven generations. Okay. not in here.
so where is it um, I'm gonna do a quick uh, search here I apologize to the listeners for taking this brief break but I have to do this Because, you know, it's important to source out stuff. Hmm. You would think that uh, I would know exactly where to go, but I just don't remember my notes where I put that Abraham sits at the entrance to Gehenna and uh, let's try this. It's like I'm uh, looking up my notes on the fly here. It's just... Uh, man. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Hashem. Midrash Tankuma, Bereshit 4. Rabbi Hanina, the son of Gamaliel, stated, Normally, wheat ascends from below and water descends from above, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not follow that procedure. He sent wheat from above, as it says, Behold, I will cause rain, uh, I will cause to rain bread from Hashemayim, and then it says, while he calls water to ascend from below, as it says, spring up, O well, O uh, sing ye unto it, Bami Bar 21.17. Now let's go back. Where was that? Three, four, five. Bear sheet. Three. All right, come on now.
Come on. Okay, let's try, um, nope, not that one. Pretty sure that, uh, bare sheet though, cause it says that, um, beloved is circumcision for Hakadosh Baruchu swore to Abraham that all who are circumcised would not descend to Gehenna. As it says, Bereshit 15, 18. So maybe I should need to look at where that source is dropped at. Okay. Well, obviously, I will uh, go ahead and retract my uh, sourcing on that. But there is a teaching somewhere in uh, Oral Torah that uh, Abraham sits at the gates of Gehenna and applies those foreskins to those who undid their circumcision. So, uh, again, he's sitting at the gates of Gehenna. So... Uh, he's making sure that his people don't descend to Gehenna, as it just said in Tankuma here. But, uh, yeah. So anyway, the final things that I want to share in our remaining time is this from Zohar Korak 14 says at the commandment of Hashem they remained encamped so they're talking about keeping the charge of Hashem from Bami Bar 9.23 if you're in Parshar Korach why are you in <laughs> chapter 9 right here's what it says here Moshe emphasizes strongly the number 12 which the Avenger Hawk Ayn drops and says that there are two Vavs which represent the two Mashiachs because the Vav represents Mashiach. So if you have 12, which would be 6 plus 6, which is Vav equals 6. So two Vavs, that's 12. So that means within the 12 tribes of Israel, that's a manifestation of the two Mashiachs. Okay, so then we have the number 12 as manifested in the 12 boundaries and the 12 countenances and the 12 tribes. He, he talks about three living creatures, the lion, the ox, and the eagle, each with four aspects. Okay, three times four, 12. We learn that for whoever produces merits in order to receive a reward, God comes down in a chariot Whoever produces merit in order to receive reward, God comes down in the chariot of the servant, Mem Tet, and with his four guards. 
the archangels. But for those who produce merits not for the sake of receiving a reward, he descends in his own chariot. So, yeah, there you go. So, anyway, um, Hashem specifically coming down to us. There's that. Now, last thing, because, you know, we ourselves are a temple. And I just want to bring this out. Uh, Hashem command is from the Midrash Gijisam, page 240. Hashem commanded the Kohanim and the Leviim to guard the Mishkan and Beit HaMikdash every night. Okay? He, Hashem, who guards the world, needs no human guards to protect his palace. He commanded that an honor guard be posted around it to impress its greatness upon the Jews. A guarded building is approached by visitors with awe because it is considered distinguished, like a king's palace. Twenty-four guards were stationed nightly in different places around the Beit HaMikdash. The Kohanim stood on guard in three places in the courtyard, and the Leviim stood in 21 places outside it. One inspector checked on the vigilance of all the guards. If he found anyone sleeping, he hit him with a stick and had the right to singe his garments. It's a whole new meaning to, could you not stay awake with me for even an hour? Orchard of Delights. Mita Kineget Mita, measure for measure, is alluded to by Korok's, by Korok's lineage, mentioned at the beginning of the portion, Korok, son of Yitzhar, son of Kahat, son of Levi. The righteous Levi is mentioned, but not Yaakov. Rashi asks why Korach's lineage was not traced all the way back to Yaakov. He answers by quoting the Midrash, which states Yaakov foresaw Korach's sin and prayed not to be mentioned in connection with it. This being the case, we might expect even the righteous Levi to also be excluded from the list. However, perhaps Levi's presence is necessary because it alludes to another instance of Mita Kineget Mita when Yosef found his brother herding flocks. Levi and Shimon plotted to kill him, but Ruvain convinced them to throw him into a pit instead. Perhaps on a symbolic level, the pit used to hold Yosef comes back to swallow up Korak, Levi's direct descendant. So yeah, the whole reason for the pit is the president of precedent of Yosef being thrown into the pit, given to death. So, yeah. There is that. Uh, so, I thought that was really interesting that the sale of Yosef, throwing him into the pit, all Mita Kineget Mita. So, I'm going to look for one more place here on... Because I can't let this go. Hmm. <laughs> Akidat Yitzhak. 
when Bereshit Rabbah 48 tells us that Abraham sits at the entrance of Gehenna and prevents any circumcised Jew from being consigned to detonation or de yeah detonation the meaning is there that and then um boom 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 trying to see if there was one more just getting real greedy uh Yep, Sefer Ha, Ha, or Sefer Ha Ikarim Ma'amar Four. Rabbi say in the midrash that Abraham sits at the door of Gehenna and saves the circumcised from going in. Therefore, as long as we see the sign of the covenant maintained in the nation, da 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 da. Okay. Anyway, that'll work for me, Brugashim. So, correction. Let's stay close to Hashem. Let's be humble. Let's cleave and attach ourselves to Yeshua HaMashiach and walk in paths of righteousness covered in his grace. Amen v'amen. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah emet Vekaye olam nata betokeinu Baruch atah Adonai Noten haTorah Amen Amen May you have a Shavuot Tov and a blessed Shabbat Shalom